everyone, and welcome to another episode of Pattern Recognition, a show that connects the dots that lead to good business decision-making. I'm your host, John Hu, current Stanford MBA student and former Goldman investment banker. In today's business environment, we have glorified the grind, sacrificing our mental health and relationships for the sake of building a billion-dollar company. Now, I've seen this masochistic mentality deeply permeate the psyche of those both in the finance and the startup world, and admittedly, oftentimes find myself engaging in the same glorification, where I mistakenly equate one-to-one the amount of hours I spend working with long-term success. Now, yes, the two are definitely, definitely correlated, but increasingly, the data shows that if you approach work more sustainably, prioritizing your physical and mental health through sleep, meditation and exercise, you'll actually achieve even better results than if you worked all day. Which is why I am incredibly excited to welcome today's guest, Ariana Huffington, who joins the podcast to share specific tactics on how to achieve work-life harmony. Fortunately, Ariana needs no introduction given her work ushering in the age of digital media while building HuffPost. In fact, through her time building the HuffPost and as a board member of Uber, she's seen how burnout can affect company performance which is why she's now building Thrive Global, a company on a mission to cure the burnout epidemic. So in today's episode, we'll first dive into the rationale and science of why recovery matters before talking about specific tactics you can use to limit distractions and maximize sleep, AKA how do you create a healthy relationship with your phone? Now, you'll also hear from a diverse group of my classmates here at the GSB in the second half of this pod as they ask Ariana questions ranging from her advice to her younger self to how we can play on a plane above the rat race. So why don't we get started? Well, Ariana, welcome to the GSB. We are so excited to have you today and very grateful for the time. I also want to thank you as you've made my job a lot easier, where usually for these kinds of sessions, you have to write a two to three minute segment introducing the guest of honor. But fortunately, I think we're all very familiar with your accomplishments. And I think the one thing that really resonated most deeply with me is that given the tenure of your career, you share a characteristic with all of us in the audience, whether it's being an immigrant American like me, an entrepreneur, or even as a woman in business. And so we're all very excited to hear more about your advice to your younger self. So with that context being said, I'd love to start off our conversation today learning about your early life and how your mission came to be. Thank you so much, John. It's great to be with you and great to be with all of you during these times when we are all learning to draw into different resources in ourselves. So as you can hear from my accent, I wasn't born in this country. I was born in Greece. I went to school in England and got an, a degree in economics at Cambridge. And then I really moved to New York when a man I was in love with wouldn't marry me. So I thought I would put the Atlantic Ocean between us. And so I say that all the good things in my life happened because a man wouldn't marry me. It's good to remember that. And I wrote multiple books on different topics from biographies to politics. But where I'm now is really a result of my collapse from burnout in 2007, two years into building the Huffington Post, the divorced mother of two daughters. And that was the beginning of my recognizing that millions of people are suffering from burnout. And in a way, uh, the pandemic has, has put a very sharp light on all that has been wrong in the way we're living our lives pre-pandemic. 
So while it is a, a really incredibly difficult time, a crucible time of trials, it's also a, a catalyst for looking at our lives and seeing what we want to leave behind and what we want to take with us into the new world. That's wonderful. And when I think about kind of our class, uh, you know, we're mid, late 20s, early 30s, we're a bunch of overeager, pretty type A business school students who love overworking, probably started in a career where we were working 80 to 100 hours a week on our first job. How do you help us actually rationalize why we should be mindful of burnout, why we should be mindful of work-life harmony? So I want you to look at the data. I bet everybody here is data-driven, science-driven. So I want you to look at what science and all the data show us. And what they show us is that as athletes also show us, recovery is part of peak performance. So let's say even if you didn't care about anything else in your life, let's say you didn't care about your health or your family or your happiness. Let's say you only cared about killing it and crushing it. I suggest you make time to recharge. That's really how we bring Thrive, you know, what we're offering with my new company into different enterprises. By focusing on performance, you eliminate the reluctance of people to take time to recharge instead of powering through exhaustion. That's wonderful. But I think what I'm struggling with now as an entrepreneur myself and a first-time founder is I don't know if I feel like I have that luxury, right? I mean, when you think about your first years at HuffPost, the reason why you were burning out was because, you know, there's so much stress and anxiety that comes with starting your first company. You don't have the proof point to say, hey, you know, if I trust the process, if I'm healthy about it, things will work out. You're busy stressing over making payroll the next night, explaining your pipeline miss at the next board meeting. And so, what are specific, I guess, concrete mental models or tips that you might have for us as first-time founders ourselves, right, going out of the GSB and to really believing what you're saying? Because there's a difference between, you know, saying it and believing it. Absolutely. And also, you are operating, we are all operating in a culture that begins to say it more, but doesn't really fully believe it. You're absolutely right about that. So what I would say, John, is... Look at the fact that most founders, I would say, believe what you just said, and over three quarters of startups fail. So maybe there is a correlation between exhausted founders making bad mistakes and alternative model, which is we take working hard for granted, right? There's nobody who really is passionate about what they are doing, who is not willing to work hard. So this is not about being laid back. This is about working smart. And in fact, the product we've launched has these four journeys. And the first is recharge. And what does recharge mean? It means getting enough sleep. After all, the first scientific sleep center was founded at Stanford. And now there are thousands of them around the world. And I wrote a book called The Sleep Revolution, which we're going to make available in the resources after our conversation so that people who are skeptical about that can look at 50 pages of uh, scientific studies to convince them. The other part in the 
Richard's journey that I'm totally in love with is called Reset. And it's a 60-second reset during the day. Just think of it, John. There is nobody who doesn't have stress in their lives. Stress is unavoidable. Cumulative stress is avoidable. Again, based on the latest neuroscience, it takes 60 seconds to course correct from stress for the cortisol hormone, the stress hormone to leave the body, to move from the sympathetic to the parasympathetic nervous system, to move from fight or flight to calm. 60 seconds. Now, who doesn't have 60 seconds? So we are, for example, integrating our reset feature into Zoom. How great would it be in between Zoom meetings to have 60 seconds? to take deep breaths, to remember what you are grateful for. We have preset guides. But also, that's my favorite thing, John. We make it easy for users to create their own reset guide based on things they love about their lives. For me, it's pictures, you know, of your pets, your kids, favorite quotes, favorite music. And anytime you are stressed, you play it. So you can quickly course correct. And that's really what matters. The, the other journeys are fuel, what we eat, how much we move, focus. You know, we are all distracted by social media, by notifications. How do we learn to create barriers and connect, you know, connecting with colleagues, with friends, with family, with ourselves. So we need that holistic experience in order to be able to show up fully present and connected with our deepest wisdom when we are working on our company or our startup. Yeah, it's definitely been noticeable the times when I haven't been present with my team. But there was a moment where you said, take 60 seconds and take a breath. And while you were saying that, I it kind of reminded me to do so, be present for this conversation and try to be as connected to you as possible. And so let's say, for example, I, I do believe you, you've convinced me, right? The data shows that. I think where I struggle with now is, okay, what do I do next? Like, what are my specific day-by-day tips where I, when I think about myself, I think about myself like kind of like a phone battery, right? And every day I'm kind of fluctuating between 10 to 20%. You know, I'll start my week on a Monday at low power mode and by Wednesday I'm at three to five. So if you were to sit here with the GSB class and say, this is your playbook every week, here are my specific tips. How do we get back to hundred percent? How do we get back up to green battery mode? I love that. I love that we're being practical, John. And let me just say one thing. I give you lots of tips, but being 100% is amazing. I mean, you're in a state of joy. Trust me, I had many, many years in my life when I didn't know what it felt like. But not only are you operating at your best at work, but you have that sense of joy about life. So let's make that the goal, okay? The great thing is that you break it down into micro steps or BJ Fogg, whom I love at Stanford, calls tiny habits. So it's about breaking it down into tiny incremental habits, and then you iterate. So we have hundreds of micro steps. My two favorite ones are how you end your day and how you begin your day. I wish I could see uh, how many hands go up 
but I predict that over 70% of hands, if not more, would go up when I ask how many of you sleep with your phone. John, is your hand going up? Yeah, I can see almost every square has a hand up. So if there is one micro step that you take away after our session here, it would be to pick a time at the end of the day that you declare the end of your working day. Let me say something that I think is absolutely true. I'm sure nobody has a natural end to their working day. And if anybody has a natural end to their working day, it means you're not doing anything interesting. So let's assume you are never going to have an end to your working day. You have to declare it. And human beings learn through ritual. So you declare it by taking this thing, which we call a phone, but it's really not a phone. The last thing we ever do on it is call anybody. It's a nuclear weapon. So you turn it off and you charge it outside your bedroom. The reason for that is that you need to allow your brain to wind down. How many of you maybe don't have trouble falling asleep, but you wake up in the middle of the night and then it's harder to go to sleep? That's a function of your brain still being activated because you haven't taken a time for a transition to sleep. And the most important element of the transition is separating yourself from the repository of every project and every problem you're dealing with. Morning, first thing in the morning, it's going to be much easier if your phone isn't right on your nightstand or cuddled up with you in bed. When you wake up, can you take 60 seconds again, just 60 seconds to remember what you're grateful for about the day, take some deep breaths, set your intention for the day before you go to your phone. I mean, there are hundreds of micro steps, but I love this too, because think of them as bookending the day and reminding us that we are more than our projects and we need to connect with that deeper place of wisdom and strength in ourselves, especially during this time. Maybe if you're just doing maintenance and living in times when we don't have to deal with all the fears, anxiety, uncertainty of a pandemic, an economy that um, is also full of unexpected turns. So during this time, it is imperative that we constantly every day do something to strengthen our resilience. And the other thing we have launched at Thrive with Stanford, actually, with the Stanford School of Medicine, based on the latest neuroscience, is a specific course called Thriving Mind on our stress triggers and how can we deal with them and bring more tools and techniques to deal with our negative bias or rumination or anxiety response, all of which have been exacerbated during this time. I've got two takeaways there. First, Ariane, is I keep hearing Stanford, but not Stanford Business School. So you'll have to send across the internship application and, and the full-time hire application for us so we can get involved. Okay, um, I love that. Actually, John, <laughs> everybody who wants to work with us, I think we are tackling the coolest, hardest challenge, which is behavior change. How can we get people through these micro steps, through storytelling, through role models, 
to adopt these healthier habits and improve both their performance and their health. Anybody who is interested, let me know. Ariana at thriveglobal.com. And she responds. And I love that thing with behavior change, Ariana, in terms of kind of phone addiction, where I think for me, one thing that I realized the other day was in some ways, phone addiction can be more difficult than, let's say, a drug addiction, where it's kind of similar to food addiction instead, where one could argue that phone addiction, that phones, we kind of need to operate in terms of being a human in society in the same way that, you know, we need food to survive. And so there's, there's a real tension and balance you have to strike with using your phone in today's world. But in terms of kind of shifting the conversation here, we've talked a lot about the tactical, what we need to do to self-care, take care of ourselves in the pandemic. Uh, we heard the GSB are also very touchy-feely and existential. And so in reflecting on your own entrepreneurial journey, when you think about us starting out on ours or starting out on kind of our careers in general, what would be your advice you'd give to your younger self? So my advice would be, first of all, to realize that life is a dance between making it happen and letting it happen. Uh, very often, all of us here, type A personalities, myself included, we think we have to make everything happen. We have to power through and just make everything happen. But when you are as old as I am and you look back, you're going to see that some of the best things in your life just happened and you were open to them. And I think that's incredibly important to remember. It takes some of the pressure off. Also, the other thing is that some of the hardest things in my life, and maybe in yours, some of the biggest heartbreaks ended up being catalysts for the best things that happened in my life. And, you know, my youngest daughter just wrote a book about that, which is coming out on Thursday as an audible original. She was hit by a bike three years ago in the streets of New York, hit her head on the pavement and has been suffering from debilitating headaches ever since. And uh, she, in the process, discovered deeper parts of herself. It was kind of a spiritual journey that was precipitated by finding herself knocked out in the streets of New York. And she has a darkly funny sense of humor. So she wrote about this journey. And uh, it's kind of a reminder of how often it's from these very difficult moments that great insights and discovering deeper parts of ourselves comes about. Gotcha. And I think with that, what I'm sitting on, and, and I see the chat is also feeling the same way, is life is a dance between making it happen and letting it happen. And when I think about kind of my pre-GSB career, it was a lot of input-output, right? There was a lot of structure to society. School, you study, you get an A, you kind of feel like you're in control. You go to college, you know, if you work hard, then you can get this job and that job. And for me, one of the most kind of the biggest struggles of entrepreneurship has been how unstructured it is. No feedback kind of giving life the ability to let it happen, which is so scary sometimes. And so what would be some practical advice to tailor with that broader advice of, you know, how do we actually sit back and let life take us? Oh, so it's not about sitting back. You know, I must say, I'm a very lean-in kind of person. I'm not a sitting back kind of person. It's more about this dance. And that dance is really also based on 
the recognition that for the human operating system, downtime is a feature, not a bug. You see, I kind of try to understand how come we came to believe as a culture something so false. And I think it goes back to the first industrial revolution when we started revering machines and then we revered software. And what is the goal of software? We brag, you know, this piece of software has 99.9% uptime. Well, for the human operating system, that doesn't work. And so you see the casualties proliferating. I mean, the, the chronic diseases like diabetes and hypertension and the mental health crisis, they are all interconnected with the fact that we don't take any time to reconnect with ourselves. And that now is becoming pretty existentially essential because of the crisis of uncertainty that we are all in. Well, at the same time, I think we're also looking for a role model, right? I mean, you have the Elon Musk on one side of the spectrum doing what he does, going a little bit crazy, doing great work. And, and that's kind of a loud outspoken model for us other than yourself who are other you know entrepreneurs athletes people at the top of their field who you think we should look to as practical examples of using rest and downtime as a feature not a bug well first of all i'm going to send you all a piece i wrote about elon musk an open letter to him clearly he's brilliant and is doing amazing work but the way he worked especially during a certain time tweeting in the middle of the night that he was taking the company private and he had the funding. Then it turned out he didn't. He had to step down as chairman, pay the SEC $20 million fine, lost a lot of great talent in the company. These are all kind of unnecessary distractions. So I would say that he's done amazing things despite the way he's been living and working, not because of it. So correlation is not causation. And I would say probably the best role model I would put forward, other than a lot of athletes, whether it's Kevin Durand or Andre Guidala or Roger Federer, et cetera, the best role model is actually a historical role model, Marcus Aurelius. He was emperor of Rome. Okay, that's a pretty big job. Can we agree on that? I'm not picking up any kind of middle management person. Emperor of Rome for 19 years, 14 of which he had to deal with a terrible pandemic. And he would go to bed every night and write what turned out to be a book called Meditations about basically... As a leader, how can you be in the eye of the hurricane? Right now, we're in a metaphorical hurricane. And if you're going to be a great leader, you got to be unflappable. You can't allow your reactions to be at the mercy of circumstances. And that's really, for me, the biggest leadership book. I have it by my nightstand. I read at least a page or two every night again and again. And I highly, highly recommend it. That's a good example. And Meditations is a great book. I've got one last question for you, Ariana, before we open up to the floor. And it's just with the theme of pattern recognition. I think I already know kind of the theme of your answer, but what would be the most consistent pattern you see across the most successful people? 
I think the most consistent pattern is recognizing a need before others recognize it and uh, being willing to fill in the vacuum, no matter how many naysayers they're there. Something like, you know, fighting the macro themes of, of burnout and, epi- and stress before people realize it. I'm sure there are many, many unmet needs out there. And even if you're a tiny bit ahead of the zeitgeist. Yeah. I mean, when we came out and launched Thrive four years ago to end the stress and burnout epidemic, burnout wasn't a term used as much. Last spring, the World Health Organization recognized it as an occupational hazard. Now, almost every company recognizes the risk of burnout as affecting productivity, attrition, business metrics. And the minute something is measured and recognized as affecting business metrics, resources are actually marshaled to combat it. That's great. And so, Ariana, we'll transition here to Q&A with the whole class. I think first up, we have Kimmy Lalua. Kimmy, if you want to come off mute and ask your question. Yeah, totally. Ariana, hi. Thank you so much for spending this evening with us. Um, I really appreciate the thoughts you've shared particularly around making sure to carve time out for yourself. But given the pandemic that we're in today, and just generally speaking, the fact that the line between home and work is totally blurring, how do you think about setting boundaries and helping people to understand why you're creating space for yourself and making sure that they respect that? So thank you for this is a great question. And you're absolutely right. You know, it's much harder today to set boundaries. A lot of us, including myself, are working from home with a lot of uncertainty. So I'm a big believer in creating these rituals. I mentioned bookending the day with how you start and how you end it. Create your own ritual. It may be completely different than mine. But creating a transition to sleep is one of those rituals. And if somebody doesn't agree with you, your own boundaries, remember that no is a complete answer. Like you don't have to actually bring everybody along with you. You just have to make sure that you take care of yourself. And then from that place, when we are actually renewed and refueled, we have so much more to give. And I actually consider giving an act of self-care. I love constantly reading about the civil rights movement and all the lessons there. And, you know, self-care was part of the civil rights movement's recognition that when people took care of themselves, did you know Rosa Parks did yoga until shortly before she died, for example? And of course, self-care, that had a spiritual element that when you kind of refuel yourself, you have so much more to give. You are a better activist. You are a better community member. You are better at everything. Self-care is not selfish. We're not talking about massages and face masks of the other kind. We're talking about being the best humans we can be and bringing all our resources to everything we're doing. Absolutely. Thank you for that response. Thank you. Mariana, thanks so much for doing this. It's great to have you with us. Thank you, Colin. I had a more specific question, maybe from a certain chapter of your career. Obviously, we're all following along through the sort of ups and downs of Uber's last few years. And just curious if you had 
any sort of key lessons or, or anything you learned throughout the process of working with Uber and Travis that would be worth sharing with the group? Yes, I learned an awful lot. I was um, the first woman board member at Uber during the crisis. So I was asked by the board to be really involved, dealing with employees, uh, listening to all their frustrations. And, you know, I learned so much about how Uber, like many startups, you know, were fueled by burnout. And when you are fueled by burnout, what happens is that it brings the worst out in people. You know, people are more sexist, more racist, less empathetic. So it's not just that performance is um, weakened. It's also that you are surrounded by a lot of people who are not bringing out the best of themselves. And the other thing is that I saw the glamorization of people who are good at their jobs, no matter how bad they are at everything else. In fact, I remember at one of the all hands saying that from now on, you know, we are committing that no brilliant jerks will be allowed here. And companies have to make that decision. If they want a good, healthy culture, they need to say, well, no matter how good you are at growing the company or meeting your uh, KPIs or whatever, if you can't be a good colleague, if you can't be empathetic, if you can't operate within a healthy culture, you shouldn't be here. Thanks for the question, Colin. And I love the central theme we have going here, Ariana, around burnout. I, I wonder what mission you're pursuing. And so the next question, Morgan, if you're ready, go off mute. Awesome. Thanks, John. And thank you, Ariana, for being here. It's been great to hear your thoughts. So after you reached that point of burnout in 2007, one, what were the immediate behavior changes that you made and how has your self-care routine evolved since then? And I'm also curious to hear how you're continuing to approach balancing personal restoration and following your ambitions. Thank you so much, Morgan. So two things. One, I really started prioritizing my sleep. And sleep is my superpower. I find that when I get enough sleep, it's like, bring it on. Whatever the challenges, whatever is happening, I'm so much better equipped to deal with it. The other thing is I have a bit of an addictive personality. So I try to use my addictions for good. So I wanted to uh, ramp up how much time I spent working out. So I came up with what I think is a pretty smart idea, highly recommended. Anytime I fall in love with a series, I want to binge watch something, I only allow myself to do it on my treadmill. So when I was in love with succession, I mean, I literally, there were weekends when I would do three and a half hours on the treadmill <laughs> so that I could keep watching Succession. So whatever it is, we sometimes need to almost trick ourselves into doing things that are good for us. And we also, again, this whole idea of micro steps has been key to me whenever I want to adopt a healthier habit to break it down into things I can do every day. 
and it's working across all populations. We launched an, a new app now for Walmart, you know, 2.2 million employees or associates, as they call them, most of whom work in stores. And it's quite amazing to see the results because of these micro steps they take every day, you know, losing over 100 pounds, reversing diabetes. So that's why I say behavior change is really the holy grail, whether it's in ourselves or in helping the world, as we're seeing these huge health disparities now that are disproportionately affecting people during the pandemic. Yes, to Ariana Escharisto for being here today. My best friend is Greek, so it has very to good play. Greek accent. Your Greek accent is better than my American accent. I have two questions. My first question is, what is your favorite vacation in Greece? My heaven is Porto Helie. Was very privileged to stay there a little bit, but was curious. Oh, my favorite is Antiparos. It's a little island. Um, a lot of Greeks actually go there, and it's absolutely beautiful with everything we love about Greece, the charming restaurants, the sea. We actually have created a virtual vacation in Greece as part of our reset. So you can just look at it, and in 60 seconds, you can be transported there. That's amazing. Thank you. My second question is a more, I guess it's a generational question. You've mentioned COVID and all the changes that it brought upon our lives and challenges. So I'm curious, what opportunities do you think COVID has brought to us? And what are the needs that you think that COVID has brought that maybe some of us might want to tackle that are here to stay post-COVID? I really, without in any way minimizing how terrible this time has been for so many people, how many people have lost loved ones, financial losses, without minimizing any of that. I consider this time as really a crucible. You know, a crucible is, as you know, this time of intense trial, but we can come out of it better than when the pandemic started. So I see it like a portal that will allow us to imagine and build a better world. Because if you go back and look at the way we lived our lives, kind of frenetic, breathless, with chronic diseases skyrocketing, the mental health crisis, deaths of despair, look at what was happening. I mean, this is not a world we want to go back to. So for many of us, this forced pause, this time of reflection, at this time of um, opportunity to know ourselves better. Remember the Greek admonition, know thyself. How many of us had time to know ourselves? We're all on a treadmill. So this forced pause is a catalyst for amazing changes. And I see a lot of people taking it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Ariane. I think we've got time for one last question. Orly, if you want to come off mute. Thank you, John. And thank you so much, Ariana. I'm bought in. I want to have a more balanced life, but I feel like most of society is not bought in. So how do we make sure we don't get outpaced by the people who are willing to work around the clock? And that what do we do when we're in the minority opinion on that? So, Orly, 
you are going to outpace them. If you work around the clock, you are not going to be the best early you can be, trust me. Because, you know, from my economics course, the, the one term that has stayed with me is diminishing returns. The minute diminishing returns set in, we are no longer able to tap into ability to innovate, to be creative, to see the icebergs before they hit the Titanic. And all these things are particularly important during a time of transitions, uncertainty, uh, like the one now. Like maybe if you are doing maintenance, you don't need to tap into these resources as much, but we are not doing maintenance. We have every day to be bringing all these treasures that we have in us in, to bear to everything we are doing. And trust me, if we can do that, there's no way somebody who is working around the clock and therefore is making bad decisions can outpace us. I mean, what we love at Thrive to collect stories of super successful people like Jeff Bezos, who wrote on Thrive that he gets eight hours sleep because the most important thing he has to do is make good decisions. He said, I'm being judged by the quality of my decisions, not the quantity of my decisions. Or Satya Nathala uh, at Microsoft, tons of leaders have come forward now and talked about their own recharging routines. And that's new because, Orly, look at all the decades when everything we have is uh, leaders bragging about how they power through. You know, you snooze, you lose. I'll sleep when I'm dead, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's changing. So the culture is changing. And of course, if you join the change, it will change even faster. I've, I've even convinced, you know, my oldest daughter, I, I was telling John, married um, a Stanford Business School grad who I think is now convinced about the importance of sleep. So his name is Paul Needham. So you can ask him to, it works. Thank you so much. Wonderful, Ariana. Well, thank you so much for the time. I want to make sure that that we're respectful of that. This has been so, so, so wonderful. We're incredibly, incredibly grateful for your wisdom. And so we'll make sure to go to bed right after this. Thank you so much. Great to be with all of you. And we'll put some resources up for you to go deeper. Thank you. Once again, a huge thank you to Ariana for joining us today. If you're interested in building work-life harmony for yourself, then I am happy to lend you a copy of Ariana's book, The Sleep Revolution via my Kindle. Just shoot me a DM on my TikTok, which is at jhoovy, spelled J-A-Y-H-O-O-V-Y, or on my Instagram at John G. Hu. In the meantime, please get some sleep, and I will talk to you soon. Bye.